Good morning and welcome to Your Pet Matters and the Collaborative Vet Podcast and YouTube show. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tikiwa, and I am stoked because I've got a wonderful guest today. She's an associate professor at the University of Illinois, and she's a radiation oncologist. So um, nothing better than dealing with such wonderful specialists. I love it. I love talking <laughs> to people like this. And so I'd like to welcome Dr. Kim Selting to the show. Kim, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my background. Um, okay. I grew up in Colorado. I went to uh, undergrad and vet school there. I went away for, uh, I went. I spent a year in France before I went to vet school. I um, went and did an internship in New York City at the Animal Medical Center after vet school. And then, uh, and then it was time for life for a little bit. So we moved to my, um, I was married at the time. We moved to St. Louis and was there for four years. I did a year of emergency practice and three years of a, a really great small animal private practice. And, um, you know, I think probably kind of relevant to some of the things we'll talk about. I'm very grateful for that time. I knew all along that I wanted to do oncology, but my life took me to private practice for a while. And I'm really grateful for that because I think that it really helped me have that perspective. And um, it really helps me, you know, teach and it helps me, um, you know, know a little bit more about uh, how to work with with general practitioners when I'm dealing with cancer cases. But I maintained a strong interest in oncology. And so after a few years and after starting a family, I had a, had a baby at the time, we went back to uh, Colorado and did my medical oncology residency there. Um, had a second child while I was there and then joined the University of Missouri as a medical oncologist, had a third child. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> and then uh, I was on faculty at Missouri for 15 years. And during that time, I mean, I also maintained a strong interest in radiation oncology. And so I constructed um, uh, alternative residency during my off clinic time and completed a second residency in radiation oncology, got boarded in radiation oncology in 2013, was there for both medical and radiation oncology for four years, and then came here to the University of Illinois about four and a half years ago to focus on radiation oncology to, um, you know, to make that a focus. So um, that has been really a nice, a really a fun way to kind of, you know, renew my, um, my career, it's, I, I love what I do. I have a great passion for what I do. I still do. I still love treating animals. I love teaching. Uh, and it's been fun to kind of shift my focus and do something within oncology where my expertise is, but also, you know, shift to radiation oncology. The program here is, uh, we're growing fast. We have some amazing top of the line equipment, which means that I can do all sorts of fun things with it. And so, um, so yeah, so it's been really a, an excellent, really a great move for me to, to come here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I'm dumb. So <laughs> I, I had a classmate who had, I think she had two kids during vet school and I was just yeah. blown away. But yeah. what, you, you, what you've done is, is beyond amazing. It's, it's, but I do have a question. So was this, was this year in France, was that a break? Was that a, was that a, a, a um, a job thing? What, what, what was that about? It was uh, it was a study abroad year. So I, um, because I came into undergrad with some AP credits and I got my pre-vet requirements out of the way in two years and I felt like I was too young to go to vet school. I wasn't 21 years old yet. Like I just, and I was trying to decide if I was going to finish a bachelor's before I applied to vet school or if I wanted to just go straight into vet school. 
And after a lot of soul searching and talking with um, some of my professors and some people in my life, I decided that what I really wanted was to be more grown up, you know, was just to have a little bit more life before I dug into something like that school. So I had always loved the French language and culture and I had taken French classes and that was how I fulfilled some of my elective requirements. And I had been to Paris for spring break during high school once and just really loved it. And so I applied and did this year abroad and I didn't do, I, I had these, you know, aspirations of going to science classes while I was over there and and keeping up with all of that but that was kind of silly really I, I mean I did like French language and literature and you know history of Greek theater and stuff like that so you know wow. I took liberal arts classes and I had an amazing time and that was you know that was in that was life before the internet and that was life before cell phones so it really was you know, I just my my dad found he found it an inexpensive flight to Switzerland because that was close enough to France. And so I, he just flew me over to Switzerland, and then I had to find a train and take a train to you know where I was going in France and um, find my own way. I was 20 years old, and you know it was, a, it was a great life experience. And I just feel like I really became an adult during that year because I had to make all my own decisions and be responsible for them. And really, it was very you know epistolary because I just had the only relationships I maintained were primarily through writing letters and a very occasional phone call but mostly I was just there on my own and um, so it was, a, it was a great year it was probably the most formative year of my life. It, it, it's so ironic that you say I wanted to mature but the whole decision to do this is a mature decision right it's so funny. <laughs> well yeah or or it was just you know when you're young and you're indestructible you just you just you know do things that sound good and maybe without much thought of what it means. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that that's awesome. And then, so it's it's also amazing. So, so you're having kids through vet school. I mean, we could. I, I don't want to waste a lot of time on this, but we could do this whole show just on how you got through vet school. So you're dealing with the the stressors of vet school. You've got a family. Clearly, you've got an incredibly supportive family network that is allowing you to do this. And you know, you're you're definitely balancing time right? Time between raising kids and doing the yeah. studies that just yeah. amazing. I didn't amazing, do, amazing. I didn't have kids during vet school. I did get married during vet school. Okay. And then my internship and then I started private practice and I started a family a few years out of my internship. So I had a, I think my daughter was eight months old when I went back for my residency. So I did have kids when I was in my residency and in the first year on faculty. So, you know, after I'd been on faculty for a year, I had three kids under the age of five, something like that. So that was a hectic time. And it was, you know, a time when you start to realize what your limits are. You know, you, you start to realize, wow, I forgot something really important because my brain is so uh, occupied by all this other stuff. And so um, after the third, I knew that I was done. I just said, this is, this is, this is my limit. This is what I have time for in my life. And, um, this is pushing it and I love them all and it's great. And it's time to, time to move on to the next phase and let them grow up and have these three wonderful kids. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I can, I commend you on these decisions. And the, the last, last question I have about your, your history is, is you, you said the benefits of being in private practice. And mm -hmm. so can, I, I kind of have a gist of what you're talking about, but can you just elaborate on that for our viewing audience? Yeah, I think, I mean, we all, when you go through veterinary school, you're, you're taught the ideal way to do things. And it's um, less commonly are you taught, well, here's the reality of what it is. For example, in oncology, 
you're taught never take a mask off without submitting it. Like histopathology is a must and it's you just don't even give your clients the option. And I think, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, ideally, and I had clients who were literally rubbing two nickels together that they just wanted to, and there was a mask that had been there for two years and it had never grown, but it was on the toe and it was annoying and it was bothering the dog. And, you know, and it's like, you're like, okay, the biologic behavior of that mask is benign. It's, it is almost certainly a benign mass and the owners can save that 50 or 60 or 80 or $100 or whatever it was at the time. And so my policy for something like that was I just found, you know, creative ways to, to be responsible. So if I took a mass off a pet and didn't submit it, it went informal and on my desk for a year. And if it didn't grow back in a year, then I throw it away. And if it grew back and I had just a couple of times where, you know, I had a dog that had a mass on its neck that the owner was living on, you know, public assistance and but it was ulcerated and bothering this teenage dog. And so we took it off and I put it in a jar and, you know, and it grew back about three, four months later. And then I submitted it and it was a basal cell tumor and then we could make some decisions. So, you know, so you find workarounds. And I think that it is um, really important as, uh, you know, as students are learning to be good veterinarians and going out into the world that they're able to put that in some perspective and to say, not everyone will, be able to communicate as beautifully as these people have and not everyone will be able to have the you know the means to provide the care that they want and what do you do in that situation and how are you how do you advocate for the pet and be responsible for the animal so that is awesome that is awesome yeah because that, that's that's what we face all the time is like you know so i i have a i have a fairly affluent clientele that you know we can definitely take steps and do things and submit and everything like that but absolutely there's occasional client that comes in and it's like you you see how that that mass responds or the, the other situation we had recently was this dog's had multiple mast cell tumors and then there was one right down under here and so you know i'm talking to my surgeon friend about what the options are and you know he goes well if this is really mast cell what needs to be involved is is a lot for a geriatric dog so you know it gives us those those opportunities to discuss things yeah no that's, yeah that's, also thing that you learn is how to how to prioritize things because it's easy to say oh it's an older dog i'll do a cbc chemistry your analysis chest straws this that and the other you know but to really think through and say oh if i could do i always ask myself if i could do just one test what would it be you know if the owner could afford something more than the um then the exam, what would I do? If it's a mast cell tumor, I do a lymph node aspirate. If it's a, you know, so try to break it down and say, what's what's the one test that will help me the most to get to the next step? And what will I do with that information? Because you should only ever do a test if it's going to change what you do or if it changes the owner's understanding of what's going on so that, you know, so that they can make good decisions. That's awesome. Excellent. This, that's excellent. So you young vets out there, that is probably a huge um, point of advice that will definitely benefit you in private practice.